welcome to another episode of the Business Exchange, How Business Works, uh, brought to you by the American Business Council, the voice of American business in Nigeria and the affiliate of the U.S. Chamber. My name is Margaret Oleli and I'm your host for this show. So today we are going to be exploring um, a world that a lot of people get really excited about, and that's the world of sports, especially in Nigeria. We will be focusing on, you know, the boarding talents and the journey of our young sports persons. Uh, we already know that Nigeria has a fecund history of participation in sports. Uh, I remember when I was a lot um, younger in my 70s, the African Games. I, in fact, I still remember the, the, the song, you know, from Congo to Nigeria. So we've had a lot of um, history of either participating or sponsoring or hosting. And, and so it's, 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 it's really been part of us. Not to mention, obviously, that Nigeria has very rich traditional sports, sports or sporting type of uh, that are, that are really specific to us, really. Uh, not yet in the international arena, but perhaps that's a conversation for another day. So Nigeria's rich sporting culture, uh, with you know football being the most prominent at this point, and hopefully basketball as we move on, and I'll tell you, <laughs> offer many um, young, uh, young people a pathway to a national pride, economic opportunity, and international visibility. So we know that the grassroots plays a um, very important role in getting um, the the youth to where they want to be. Um, we see that the young talents are discovered at community levels, you know, through com- community matches, school tournaments, and even local clubs. But there are, you know, teething challenges that we see, and and some of them are, you know, issues around not providing uh, you know travel um travels for for the matches they go to even if it's at the local level um having the right equipment for training accessing proper nutrition and you know everything else that can really make um this a very limiting thing if you know we don't explore or um look into those challenges so as to unlock the opportunities we have in the sporting arena. So we also identified that private sector involvement through um, uh, corporate sponsorship have a bit sporadic. So it's not it's not in a in a very intentional way. So today you have this company sponsor and tomorrow we're not sure what's happening. And so we we see that you know this whole um the sporting um, um space is some somewhere that we really need to do quite a bit um, in terms from from a private sector perspective and also from the government perspective. Uh, we also have things around cultural expectations and gender stereotypes, sometimes uh, limiting um, women, who are female, the female um, um, athletes and people in the sporting space, um, limiting the opportunities and, you know, limiting um, stories that can come in terms of um, the successes. I don't want to even go into the craziness that happened, you know, uh, recently during the foot, the the FIFA football uh, games. Um, so both um, continental and global um, conversations um, could pave the way for younger generations um, of Nigerians to do a lot in in the space. Um, uh, but we, we're, we're hoping and, you know, uh, I guess, I, I guess I'm talking too much. So let me not 
bore you with all the long talk about the challenges and the opportunities when we have a special guest who will give us a very, very interesting insights into various um, areas. So our guest today is Bemi Abudu. She's the, um, the MBA African Vice President and Country Head uh, of, of um, MBA Nigeria. Um, I, I want to believe there may be Af West Africa to it, but again, uh, this is Bemi Abudu to discuss youth participation in sports um, in Nigeria. So welcome, Bemi. Hi, Margaret. Thank you very much. Bemi Sala, actually. You know I go by Bemi Sala. <laughs> yes. No, 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 no worries. You know, sometimes people just take that, you know, the first bit and, and leave the I other. Know. So Bemi yeah. Sala, I know that. Yeah, so at least, yeah, Bemi Sala so that we don't... Uh, um, uh, confuse you for somebody else. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. So yes, maybe I, I, you know, I know maybe so. I know it's been very. I know your schedule is really crazy and it's been very difficult to get you. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm glad you're here today uh, for us to discuss um, and share our thoughts in an area that's very critical to the growth of the country. And so, um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I said that the sports sector has seen significant um, challenging barriers to entry and participation. And, uh, you know, these may include financial constraints and poor infrastructure, you know, corruption, biases and all whatnot. Why do you think these ba uh, barriers exist and how do you think we can overcome them? I know you're not government. Uh, I know you do. You may not have, you know, the the whole total picture. But from your perspective, what do you think? Um, one, once again, thank you very much for having me here. Um, it's always a pleasure to get the opportunity to speak about sports in general than to speak about basketball, something that's been near and dear to my heart for the past 20 something years, if not more. Um, I mean, to answer your question, I think a way to sort of look at this is there's a critical need for a collective understanding and alignment on the impact of sports and what sports represent. I don't believe there's that universal understanding within our system yet. If you look very closely, sports was only reclassified as a recreational um, element to actually being a business sector not until last year. So that tells you that, I mean, that speaks volumes alone, that there was not that understanding of the potential of what sports can present as a tool for nation building how sports can be an essential tool for economic development. Um, so it's been viewed as a nice to have, it's not been viewed as a must have. And I believe there's a desperate need for that shift um, to happen. And to be honest, it's part of the reason why I enjoy doing things like this because I believe sports diplomacy is very important in us educating people about what sports can be for Nigeria. So I'll start out with that. So if it's seen as a, as a place of a serious area of business, and, and I want to break it down a little bit um, for you to sort of understand what I mean when I say that. From research and development to sports tourism to sales and trade of sports product, you have all these different elements for countries that have identified the importance of sports. They contribute heavily to their GDP while sparking creation of jobs, right? When sports is harnessed properly, it can be utilized as a bridge for to um, equip the youth with employability skills, which we'll talk about that in the program we do with the, at the MBA. And um, 
really just understanding that this tool can be it can be utilized as a tool for to drive economic growth and prosperity without the lack of that if people don't have that understanding it would not be afforded um the seriousness whether it's from a business standpoint whether it's from all the other elements that are required to come together um, to make sports um, what it's supposed to be. If you look at, I think if you in Nigeria, if I think GD, for our GDP, sports probably accounts for 0.0005% right, of what sports accounts for. Whereas in developed markets that have harnessed, and when I say developed, it doesn't have to be fully developed, even developing, sports accounts for anywhere from five to 10% of their GDP. When you know something has that capacity to do that, the way you approach it, the way you engage, the type of policies you have in place will be reflective of that. So once we and and, and I give the, I give the government because going back to like I can see that change happening now from from where we were last year to sort of see where things are, um, where there are conversations about how do you provide. Um, if it's classified, it being reclassified as an industry provides eligibility for incentives um, um, from development and things of that nature. So I think that's the most crucial thing first. I mean, for me, in my mind, it's very clear that without that universal understanding and that collective understanding, we will continue, all these problems will continue to persist. Why? Because I look, I mean, with the way I tend to see life with everything is like this, everything is an iceberg, like the iceberg theory. The underlining issue is that everything else you've mentioned are symptoms of it. Is that the answer you were looking for? Well, I mean, I mean, <laughs> more than the answer I was looking for. But, but you know, you touched on some um, areas that I, I, I found very interesting, um, you know, obviously, uh, moving from from sports being just seen as a leisure to a tool for economic development is is an area that we we need to move over to and and then you know when you talked about a contribution to gdp which looks really very um you know very minute uh, you know compared to other sectors and all then you begin to wonder mm, are we really capturing um the actual contribution of sports to gdp um especially when you look at remittances coming in from um sports nigerian sportsmen who are doing a lot of great work out there but again that is we'll get to we we'll get to that point there's something else i talked you talked about that um i just really want to have like a peep into you talked about the passion for basketball that runs right over 20 years and can you just give us a sense of what that is before we move to other areas? Because I'm, I'm, I'm curious. You never told me that part of your existence. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, my love for basketball began in high school. Um, and I say this with such um, pride. When I, when I think back to fall in love with this game, I, I never thought that basketball would become a center element of, of my existence. I never did, actually. But I remember vividly, it was in 1996. I remember because it was a game. It was a um, it was an all-star game. And when I say all-star, it was an, um, a McDonald All-American game. And what we you had this kid, there was something so dynamic about him. And and mind you, at that point, I shared this space with my older brother who was obsessed with basketball. So 
whenever you get there, all he wants to watch is basketball. And I used to get so irritated because I really just didn't care about this game at that point. I ran track. I wanted to watch any of my teeny boppers, soap operas. It wasn't basketball. <laughs> was not the thing I was interested in watching. Um, but I remember watching this boy play and there was something, I, I don't know. I, and sometimes I feel like it was just divine that th- I connected with, with this young guy the way I did, um, the late Kobe Bryant. This was when he oh, was yeah. finished high school. And I watched him play and I was like, who is this human being? I was so drawn to him that everything he did afterwards, um, literally till Kobe passed, I followed religiously um, as a fan. And also maybe part, I think maybe there was when he started the NBA, at that point he was like one of the youngest players in the history of the NBA. And the way, and he talked about his adversity, the way he was being, I mean, talked about how he was, how he was being treated and, and there was something about him where he had this unwavering passion about basketball, but he had such clarity about who he was and who he was going to be. I was so drawn to that. And many reasons why I was drawn to that because I, I mean, I started college at 16. I felt like um, when I was 13 years old, I mean, when I was considered to be really young, a lot of the views I have about life today, to be honest, were formed then, right? But my views would be easily dismissed because people would be, be seen as just a small child talking. You have no experience to back it up, right? Whereas for me, I read a lot as a kid. I wanted to consume knowledge. I was so inquisitive. I remember I used to tell myself that I wanted to be one of the most interesting human being anyone would meet. So I would read encyclopedia. I, I just I just was hungry for for knowledge. So I used to get so frustrated when um, I would say things because I've done my homework, I understand what I'm saying, but people were dismissive. It's like, she's young, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Then when I got to college, I watched basketball more. I saw basketball as a, as a, um, as a form of escape. Um, I developed great relationship with members of the basketball team in, um, who were Nigerian, who played for um, the university I attended. And that just continued to fuel my interest and my love for the game. I became obsessed with Kobe Bryant. I, be, I mean, the whole diehard Mamba mentality, you know, like work hard, persist. I mean, and all of that resonated with me because, I mean, I always use the example of I took college way too seriously, that your average kid in college at that point, your guidance counselor will expect to see you maybe once a semester if they're lucky right once a year my guardian counselor will see me like every two weeks because i'll go see her every two weeks i'm asking about this internship and i'm doing this and she's like can you relax and enjoy college i didn't even know what that meant i was just wired for i want to do this and i want to do that i want to be the best in this so kobe's mentality the way he saw life the way he pushed himself for success i could identify with that and um I, I have basketball to credit for some of the best friendships I have now. A lot of my very, cl- very close friends, I met them through my love for basketball, whether it was through the NBA and t- attending basketball games or being part of the African basketball community. So that love and passion for basketball stayed with me for, for it stayed with me for many years that at one point I actually thought about working for the NBA, um, but they didn't have anything that 
appealed to me and I just sort of gave up on the dream of ever um, working for the NBA and just focusing on being a fan. <laughs> so that's very my interest. <laughs> very, very interested. You know, you know, you know why I'm laughing because you know, um, you're, you're, I see in your existence and you know the your your experience a convergence of of um, how uh, what I'll call a symbol Kobe in this uh, at this point became for you um, both an understanding of a passion for sports but also um, was able to help you drive your um, educational growth whatever that I, I would call that or intellectual or on you know the law form knowledge because for the most part people um i don't like using those cliches but most people like to distinguish between knowledge and sports and school and sports in fact i remember when we were growing and if you're getting very passionate into into some sport or the other your parents would remind you very quickly that we didn't send you to school to go and start playing football or to play hockey. I mean, I used to play hockey in secondary school. So, and uh, you know, so there was that clear look. Don't these things don't don't they don't mix? You don't. They are mutually exclusive. So those prevalent biases exist, and um, and it's even worse if you're a woman. So and in a in a in a country where you have very and perhaps for the for for most countries you have. Um, perceptions around traditionally male dominated um, um, sports. So it's like, okay, even if people have to be in this area, they have to be men. You know, what do you think are the transformative initiatives that can be implemented to redefine and reshape uh, societal perceptions and perhaps also provide uh, opportunities for young female athletes in Nigeria? One thing I wish everyone in the world would ever do is I think there should be a universal learning of unconscious bias, right? Because even when you talk about these biases, a lot of people don't realize they have it and they will argue that they don't. There's this unconscious bias that people have about, even when you say in the world we live in today, because you're talking about the way a woman, when certain jobs are perceived as a man's job versus a woman's job or the way a woman is, a man is supposed to be the one to play sports or a woman. I think there's a need because culturally, and it's not just a Africa thing, I think this is a global thing. Everyone grew up for the most part, maybe not, I shouldn't say everybody, but most people grew up in a school of thought where we've been told what a man is supposed to do and what a woman is supposed to do, right? And we don't realize that Growing up in that school of thought, there are different things in society that are constantly confirming that. Then we expect that people get to a certain level and they're like, oh, no, I think differently now. No, a woman can do. No, it's people have been wired that way from a young age. So I think there's a need for society as a whole. And when I say society, I'm talking about globally. There's a need. There's an unlearning that needs to happen in terms of understanding that We've all been wired a certain way, and that impacts the way we see things. It impacts the way we interact with each other. It impacts the way we approach the world. And having that honest dialogue about that, I think that's the first step, to be honest. 
because I know it's not just a sports thing. I mean, it's it's something that's prevalent in um, whether it's a male dominated industry um, or not. It's whether it's like, oh, I mean, I think that has changed now when you think about engineering. Engineering is not just a man's job anymore. Mm-hmm. Women can mm-hmm. do engineering. But this needs to cascade and sort of happen across the board, right? So I will start with that. Like, I think there should be, the way we all go to school and we learn English, there should be a mandatory class, I'm serious, <laughs> of unconscious bias. Because if everyone understands what unconscious bias even means to begin with, then you can say, you can identify it when you're doing it or when it's showing up in you. The lack of that knowledge and that understanding, yeah, I think it will will continue to persist. So I think it starts with that. Then I think the second um, is, which we see a lot of that now, and I've been privileged in my life to see that, where there's so many amazing, the more you see what is ascribed to a particular gender and you see somebody else in that gender, sort of doing it and succeeding and excelling in it. I mean, no matter how difficult it might be, they make it look easy. <laughs> um, it sends um, it sends a very strong message, right, um, to the next generation or to others that it can be done. And I'll use myself as an example. For the longest time, when I first started this role, I didn't quite understand the significance um, of being a woman in this role when, I mean, it was to me. It was like, oh, it was a job. You you went through the interview process. You got the job. You're qualified for the job. And you do the job, right? And it just so happened that this job happens to be in a space that you're passionate about. That was it in my head. I didn't understand the significance of someone, my gender, sort of being in this position um, for the MBA in Nigeria. You know, I, I mean, and I kept hearing this all the time. People were like, oh my gosh. That's a man's job. How can she be doing a man? I've heard, I've heard that it's a man's job so many times at this point um, from different facets, right? And one of the things I've been focused on, and this is what I tell myself, even whenever the going gets tough, because it does, it's just the reality, and I would not sugarcoat that. Um, it's what I remind myself is I do the best job anybody can do. So whether it's a man doing the job, whether it's a woman, I don't care. I'm mm-hmm. going to be the best I can be at the job, period, right? And what that signals is for the next generation that sees that a woman can excel at that job, no matter how challenging or difficult or whatever she has to deal with, she finds a way to succeed at it and excel at it. It just makes it easier for the next for the next group of people. I don't say generation because I don't think it needs to go to a next another generation before somebody else can do it. It's not that it's not that serious, you know. So I that's sort of the way I see it. That it has to be people constantly breaking barriers, mm-hmm. doing what people have said cannot be done. And the more that becomes visible for others to see, the more it takes that mystic or mystery away from, oh my gosh, this is just the way we talk about engineering. Now, no one really thinks of engine- engineering as a man's job anymore, whereas mm-hmm. there was a time it was perceived that way. So Absolutely. I think that that has to happen across the board and the reality is it just takes time. Yeah, so so with this, I mean, I I agree with you um, because sometimes, uh, well, I'm I'm I would say I'm not one for this kind of lifting one's arms up in the air and just like maybe a dog, you know, 
with the back on the on the ground and you know just really with the forearms out there kind of a helpless type of situation where we yeah. feel okay women need help mm. i i think i think you we, we from what i hear you say and what i believe we have to excel wherever we are and so you know where 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 people when people see what you're able to do it really wouldn't matter whether that you're a man or a woman and and then it kind of trickles or um peculates in a sense into other areas for other people and you know people begin to see this not as a man's world but a, a person's world any person who can excel in that space is that person who should be there so i i, I don't usually like this whole thing about women being okay yes we are disadvantaged so we need more help i i guess i'm not also um i'm not also a hot fan of that but i guess that's a story for another day yeah. <laughs> i'll move to something <laughs> i want so it's interesting like i wouldn't say that we're disadvantaged i mean there're just some realities no, people people, people people come with that oh you know I, I, and i'm not saying it's completely you know completely false but i'm yeah. saying that we shouldn't live in this kind of misery pity party type attitude it's it never helps you know i hear you i think, mm. so i think i mean so you know i used to i used to feel that way before then until you realize that the lack of the conversations about it the lack of um expressing and showing that i mean we talked about unconscious bias earlier the way unconscious bias shows itself up can show up in the ways in which you would least expect right and unconscious bias is not gender specific it can show up anywhere so i think the openness to talk about it it's not i don't believe anything is a handicap i don't believe anything is a disadvantage i actually always constantly think that anything that presents itself as a disadvantage how do i see how that can be an advantage right so i always say my thinking with that is this is what my my faith comes in my faith is a big part of who i am that i say that mm-hmm. nothing touches me if it's not for me so if it's happening to me it's happening for my good i might not understand why right now but it's mm-hmm. happening for my good and that means it doesn't need, prevent me from having conversations and dialogue about it you know but it's i would not use it as a crutch of why it to prevent me from getting to where i'm supposed to be yeah completely spot on on that yeah. let's move to another area we were saying and that's um it's become cliche right now and that's jackpa you know the jackpa wave strangely you know strangely um you know the the the, the sports sector if we if we can call it that had seen had been i would even say the pioneer this jackpa wave because you know we had a time when um you know our um super eagles or green eagles you know said moving out of the country got you know um contracts with local international clubs outside of nigeria and all that so we we saw a bit of that happen and we still see quite a bit of that but it's gotten even you know a bit more um at a at a, at a larger scale as well so um the challenges we have just discussed have been also contributing to the mass exit so a situation where when you even compare what someone you know that's that's earning um as a sports person in Nigeria what that person is earning it's just completely like a 
a, a drop in the in the in the in the big fat ocean compared to whatever is happening out there. And so obviously that is that becomes um, the reason why you begin to see a lot of this mass exit. And with the migration of talented young athletes abroad, what strategies do you think that we can do to retain um, Nigeria's with you know sports? pressing or talent within Nigeria and also ensure that um, the migration benefits the nation's sports reputation and development because again perhaps you know the the the, the going out may be of great advantage to Nigeria so uh, what do you think baby Sola? okay so um I mean and this is the reason why I give organizations like ours so much credit because what the NBA is doing, and I will talk a little bit more about the Basketball Africa League, what we're doing with that is how do you encourage, create opportunities for talents to stay in country or stay within the continent? I think it's it's a it's a very tough one, to be honest, because if you're someone who you find that you're extremely talented in whatever it is you're, you're gifted at naturally, you want every opportunity to sort of maximize that talent and see where that talent can take you, right? So that means you want to be in an environment that would nurture the talent. You want to be in an environment, you want to be in an environment that would nurture the talent. You want to be in an environment that would um, that would give you all the resources you need to be able to um, to be successful at it, at least see if you can be successful at it. If you're in an environment that doesn't have that infrastructure in place or have all those things that happen that will enable you to be to try to be successful at it, no one can fault you for saying you want to go to greener pastures, wherever that is, that has those facilities and has the resources for you to be able to explore that talent, right? With yeah, that because said, it's not all about the money, actually. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's, a, yeah. and that's what I'm like, it's not even a money thing. I, I you can mm. see I didn't even mention that. It's mm. about if I have a potential, like, I mean, it's one of the reasons why you go to certain grad schools or certain undergrad because they are known for a program, right? So it's, yeah. if I know I, I'm, um, I play piano really well, I know it comes from, it comes, it's intuitively comes to me naturally. I would want to go to a school, like a liberal arts school that has um, a program that would enable me to really maximize that talent, right? And see how great I can get at it. So that's where the whole jackpot, when people talk about that, I, I mean, from a sports standpoint. However, what we can do as a nation, which I'm beginning to see that, it's, it's not beginning to see that, um, it's being done. And I have to give credit to those who, I always say that NBA Nigeria exists now because you have hundreds of people who have, worked hard to create the foundation that this can be built on right so you have those who you have former athletes um, um basketball executives individuals who have invested and are investing in basketball who have invested in the past that gave us the capacity for us to build this so what you're doing then is if i look at what the nba are doing is we're working to strengthen the basketball ecosystem in nigeria that makes it possible that from the moment a child picks up a basketball at a young age there's a properly defined pathway all the way to adulthood do you see what i'm saying so it's mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. There's that private sector investments that is be, that are being made. I mean, the likes of um, what we're do, what the NBA is doing, how we have strategic investors who are Nigerians who are enabling us to be able to do this in Nigeria. 
Two, um, there's the element of then what there's government programs where what can the government do in terms of ensuring that we have the right infrastructure in place to sort of facilitate um, to facilitate these programs to enable it for talent to remain within the country and they only see fit to leave the country as an option, not as a necessity. So I believe the work is being done. Honestly, um, I would say as Nigerians, um, I find that a lot of Nigerians are we're, nat we're naturally gifted in sports. Um, in the history of the NBA, we've had over 120 players of African heritage. More than half of those are Nigerians. I mean, that tells you something. Wow. That, uh, that means those are players, more than half have been of Nigerian parentage. That means either at least one of their parents um, is Nigerian, right? So it's as a country, and I see right now where the MBA's presence in the market is facilitating um, other other aspects of the value chain to be developed, right? So, and I, and I believe this is going to have that cascading effect, and you're seeing it in other um, other sports as well. So, I think it's it's a it's one of those things where the private sector has a role to play, government interventions, um, and the government itself has a role to play to enable us to be able to develop and nurture our talent, create a properly defined pathway for them so that if they decide they want to stay in the country, the opportunity exists for them. However, if they say, you know what, I want to go to the MBA, they go to the MBA um, in the US, they're able to play there. And you cannot overlook the contribution they make to the economy here because what do they do? They go to the NBA, they're playing professionally, they still take care of their family at home and Absolutely. they're second to their the family. So that's mm -hmm. exactly that's the remittance that's coming from those athletes who are doing amazing great things. Then also you can see a lot of that happening here, um, where a lot of players, I can speak for NBA players, you recently had Precious Ochoa of the Toronto Raptors that was here. You had um, Yanis Agintopkumba that was here from um, the Milwaukee Bucks, where everyone is coming back home trying to figure out what are the things they can do to help develop um, the basketball ecosystem. Then also, how can they give back, right? So developing it, and that's like from a what can we do from a commercial standpoint to help in developing this ecosystem? Then also from a CSR, looking at it from a giving back nation building, what can we do to contribute and saying that whatever talent and the skills and the learnings I have acquired, how can I pass that on? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there, there are a couple of things you said that um, um, I, I would like to force to 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 look more into, and um, obviously there there was a lot around private sector investment. You know, um, you know, working with government to to drive you know some of the government programs that can help really um, create these opportunities in this area and and make this area what it should be. Uh, but I've heard um, from some uh, corporate entities, as they, especially the uh, the U.S. private sector, you know, they they want to play a role, they want to be involved in this, uh, but then they're concerned about issues around transparency, um, around what you know potential alleged fund uh, mismanagements in Nigerian sports, um, and so how can we ensure that we bring in transparency into 
um, into this space uh, that can eventually encourage investments uh, for youth development uh, growth, uh, you know, and how are we able to get this um, levels of accountability to the point that um, these funds are not diverted for other um, purposes? I mean, like I said, again, you are not government, but yeah, sometimes, no, you know, working. So I'm going to, I, I will, I would use um, private sector analogy because I'm not touching. <laughs> um, I honestly think there's a, number one, it starts with what I mentioned in the beginning, people seeing the value in this, understanding that sports transcends, even from We've talked about the commercial side of it. There's a quote anyone who knows me knows I use all the time um, that Nelson Mandela says about sports. And I truly believe that if there's a strong collective understanding um, about sports from that perspective, sports will be treated differently. And uh, I'm going to read the quote. Sorry, I just have to. This is like what he says. Sports has the power to change the world. Sport has the power to inspire. It has the power to unite people in a way that little else does. It speaks to the youth in a language they understand. So if we understand that, we talk about national pride, you know, the women's, um, the women team won Afro baskets. We saw what that did, how that made us feel. You talk about the Olympics, when the team, when um, Team Nigeria, the national team beats the US team um, in a, Olympic um, trial game, everybody was super excited about it. Like it does what music has done mm -hmm. uh, for us as a country, basketball, football, all these sports have the capacity to do that. So starting with that, then secondly, I truly just believe that whenever you create anything, you need to have systems in place that are very transparent, right? very transparent and you have checks and the only way to have something that is transparent you have checks and balances in place that it makes it impossible for funny things to happen but that but a system is only as good as the people you have there so it's like have you hired the right people to or have you selected the right people to be there um people who have a passion for it people who understand it, people who are willing which i say is very important work hard to get the job done because having a passion or liking something does not that cannot substitute for the hard work that is required to get things done, right? So um, the same approach you would take when you're building systems in the private sector, whereas have the right people in place, have the right system in place, have a system that encourage, that has checks and balances in place. You have all of that. I think um, you, have a, uh, you end up having a well-oiled machine. In the absence of that, then all the problems you mentioned will exist. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about systems in place. And so let's go specifically to issues around, you know, policies, because those are those help to 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 ensure that we have the right systems. What are those policy gaps that um, we see in the Nigeria sports sector? Um. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're trying to get me in trouble here. <laughs> or let's let's put it. Let's put it in another way. What are okay. those? Um, policies that would like to see that can help um, the sector grow? Um, I think let's begin with, um, and I know some schools have it, some schools don't. I think sports should, it just should be mandatory in the curriculum, right? Like, let's start with that. Because when something is mandatory in the curriculum, um, we ensure that, we ensure 
we give it the attention that it's required. You know, this whole educating people about sports, about the value of sports, what it entails. Um, I would say starting with that, sports um, and education sort of go hand in hand. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. If I look at our junior MBA programs and the way our junior MBA programs are designed, our junior MBA programs are designed in a way where the kids that participate are instilled with life skills, life skills that we stay with them for the rest of their lives. So things like communication skills, leadership skills, all of those enable you to be functioning members of society, right? Mm-hmm. That education and sports going hand in hand. I mean, research even shows that people who played sports at a young age, when it comes to, they work well with others because you learn team coordination from a young yeah. age, right? You learn leadership skills from a young age. If I look at basketball, people don't realize that in order for you to learn the play, once you're in the game, things are happening, but you can still modify the play, speak to your team members to decide what is the right play for the right moment. That's critical thinking, right? So mm-hmm. when you look at all the key fundamental skills that you acquire from sports, that's sports and education, sort of going hand in hand and investing um, in that, I think that's where I would take that and stop there. Yeah, no, but you're 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 right. I mean, I, yeah. I I do recall, and it's not like I'm. I mean, I'm I'm old, but not that old. That while we the educational system we had, you know, uh, in, in those days, we had we had the we always had the basketball um, field, we had the hockey ball, you know, we had all these, and would would finish from school and would all not at the um, with with uh, with cane or whatever over our heads or whatever, we just change into our sporting wear to play against another class. If it's either hockey or basketball, and you know th- these help uh, people in terms of bonding, in terms of understanding um, how to work together, team building, and all. So it's 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 you're really right about that. But you know, over the years, we saw that most of these places were converted to cow sheds for school two, school three, school four, until, uh, I'm, I'm talking specifically about Lagos, until some other governor came back and, you know, kind of changed the whole thing, or at least tried to get it back to what it was before. So it, it, I, I, I do agree with you. Um, I mean, there are lots of things I would have liked for us to share, um, like, you know, the relationship, uh, you know, between sports and entertainment and how these two can be great drivers for growth in 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 Nigeria. But I see that people, I, you know, the, the bell is already chiming here and they're telling me that uh, we no, are kind of... <laughs> I think that's important, actually, and it's important in the work that the NBA is doing. Sports and... Um, and entertainment are interconnected in so many ways, all right? And I think for us as the NBA is part of the reason why, I mean, you alluded to the work we're doing to get, we're trying to do together and it sort of speaks to that. The creative space, the creative economy, no one can dispute what um, music has done for Nigeria in terms of putting Nigeria on the map, like nothing else has done for us in recent years, to be honest. Um, and Sports, fashion, I mean, basketball in particular, mm-hmm. the NBA, the NBA has this convening power that, like no other. So we touch on all the different elements of, of culture, art, fashion, film, music. We bring all of those together and they are so interconnected. I mean, and I always I say this with pride, 
Um, this year in February, we had the NBA All-Star Game in Utah, and it was the first time we ever had Africans um, perform at the All-Star Game. Mm. And we had three Nigerians. We had Burner Boy, we had mm. Thames, and we had Rema. Took center stage, and it's a way to communicate about our culture. It's a way to communicate about who we are. It's a way to communicate. It's 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 a way of us bringing the world to see who we are and to see our excellence in a way that nothing else can do. So um, I they're very connected. I mean, you know, there's that running joke in the U.S. where you're like musicians want to be basketball players, basketball players want to be musicians, <laughs> and that carries through everywhere. <laughs> you know, so it's. They're so interconnected. They're so interlinked um, in in the and they are in especially well in the world we are today, where we're in a world where it comes down to content, right? So it's yeah. content. We're consuming content, entertainment, all of that, all of it being interconnected. So yeah, yeah. very very well spoken. And again, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to how we're able to do this work of you know interconnecting or connecting. Um, the the entertainment, all aspects of culture with with um, basketball as we move on, and so I cannot help but uh, well, I just wish we could go on. Let me so thank you so much for joining us today, and um, we will. I hope you find time to join us again when we have uh, another project, you know, focusing on uh, not just um, sports, but, you know, projects that will tie sports and entertainment, uh, music and arts and and, and, and all. Um, and so I would um, thank everyone uh, for being part of this conversation, our listening audience. And once more, so I thank you so much. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And Margaret, thank you for being a big supporter of what we're doing here in Nigeria, what the NBA is doing in Nigeria. You've been a supporter from from day one. And I really look forward to us finding a way to deepen our relationship and the work we're doing here um, in Nigeria to increase the footprint of basketball and the NBA. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. So everyone else, follow us on the x app that sounds odd at ab cancel underscore ng to join the conversation okay bye bye thank you bye bye